Welcome back to our In This Case Profile series, where we're sharing special interviews with our Hilti North America executive management team to get a better sense of how they see the world and our business, with a few extra insights about just what makes them tick. Coming up today, I sit down with Carl Neumeyer, Chief Operating Officer for North America. I'm at a point in my life where I know my impact is not necessarily what I do, it's more the legacy I leave around me. Okay. Let's get started. Welcome to In This Case, a podcast from Hilti that goes behind the scenes at one of the most iconic brands in the world of construction. We'll talk to the people who make it all happen and ask them who, how, what if, and of course, why. Here's your host, Claire Combs. As Chief Operating Officer for Hilti North America, Carl Neumeyer is responsible for operational excellence across the company, while providing on-the-ground executive leadership for over 500 cross-functional team members at the Operations Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's a big job, but one that Carl was uniquely prepared to take on. I asked him to explain how he came to find himself in the role. I started back in August of 2010. I came in from the automotive industry. I was actually in the process of moving back from China with my old company when I was contacted about this role through a a series of conversations with a few different people, including the CEO from North America at the time, Carrie Everett, and the global head of logistics, Roland Bynes. I was able to take over the role of the head of logistics for North America, which covers Canada and the United States. And that was in 2000? That was 2010. Yep. Okay. And then I stayed in that role until we moved the headquarters from Tulsa to Plano. And when we looked at the different roles of the different team members in the executive management team at the time, it was pretty easy to see that my role made the most sense to continue to be based here in Tulsa because of the strong operational background that I have. And then so I was the head of logistics and also the chief operating officer for North America. Before moving into just now, you're now just, fully focused now I'm on fully operations. focused just on the operations. Most of us at some point in our career have made a rookie mistake or several. Can you think of something? It can be at Hilti or before your time at mm-hmm. Hilti. Can you think of a, a real learning opportunity you had early on in your career and what that was? Well, that's a great question for me. And the reason it's a great question is I like to proudly pronounce that if you want to learn how not to do something, come and talk to me first, because I've made a lot of a lot of mistakes throughout my entire life, right? Mm-hmm. Both career and outside of career. But the thing that that I like to believe is that I do positively and constructively reflect on those things. And some people say I beat myself up too much, but I really look at it as I'm just trying to learn from those mistakes and I'm trying to get better. I'll use one that's actually before I came to Hilti. I had an opportunity to work as part of a spinoff from Ford. And so I had to help set up how we did a supply-based preparation for new vehicle launches for Asian OEMs. OEM is an acronym for Original Equipment Manufacturers. And I learned the hard way about the meticulous attention to detail in the upfront pre-production processes that our competitors at that time in Japan had compared to my old company. And it wasn't that my old company did a bad job. We just had a different mentality about how we approach things going into launch and then how we fix things during launch. What I learned from the Japanese approach was you do all those things up front. And it's really interesting for me when I 
then think about that in the context of how Hilti approaches product development. It's very actually very much aligned with the companies like Toyota and Honda, which make some of the highest quality cars in the world with our emphasis on testing and our emphasis on customer acceptance that comes well before launch. It gives me confidence and an understanding of what it is we have to go through in order to make sure we do a good job for our customers. And then occasionally when I get to meet with customers, I get to relay stories like that about my personal experience and how we do things today. There's a popular saying that goes, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. So my question to you is, what were your initial plans for your career? You can think back to, you know, coming out of college or at any any earlier point. Mm-hmm. And how has your trajectory varied from what you initially thought you'd be doing? Yeah, I, I'm like nowhere near where I thought I'd be doing. When I was in college, I actually I had my undergraduate degrees in construction management. I loved the idea of building homes. I wanted to be a home builder or a remodeler. And I wanted to actually start my own company doing those things. Well, luck has it, I came out in the spring of 1991. For people like you that are too young to remember that, that was a recession. So I went back, I chose to go back and get my MBA. When I looked at my college roommates who graduated from undergrad with me, I looked at, well, who had jobs and who didn't have jobs? And so two of my roommates had a degree in something called supply chain management, which I didn't even know what that was, but they both had jobs. And so I went back and got my MBA and I did it in an emphasis in uh, supply chain management. At the time, it was actually called marketing and logistics management, but now it's called supply chain. And I did it at Michigan State. And then from there, I went into the automotive industry, which was something else I never thought I would do. I also always thought I would be one of these, I wanted to be one of these parents that would be a nine to five parent and come home and spend every evening with their kids and be home on the weekends. And because my dad was a corporate pilot and uh, well, like father, like son, adopted a lifestyle starting when we moved over to Asia in the mid-2000s, where I've always been on the road for a significant portion of my work week or my work month. So here I am running operations in Hilti in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I definitely did not have Tulsa, Oklahoma on my radar. My first recollection of Tulsa, Oklahoma was actually some of those Friends episodes from the late 90s (laughs) where where Chandler was in Tulsa. We like to say that our culture is caring and also that it's performance oriented. Why, in your own words, why is it so important that we focus on both of those dimensions and not just one? I'll take the caring part first, right? I think it's really important that our team members can be checked in and doing their job on a day-to-day basis. And as a consequence, you need to take care of them. The work that our corporate benefits and compensation committee have done to try to make sure we have best-in-class benefits is really spectacular. So that's on the caring side. Having said that, right, you have to perform and you have to be able to deliver results. So I think when when I reflect on what we need to be able to do as a leadership team, it's create that right environment where your team members feel like they can be taken care of, but they also understand that they have to perform. But we don't mean you have to perform, by the way, all by yourself. You're not out there by yourself as a team of one with me, myself, and I. It's about how we bring the team together and how do we support our team members with the right operational job, the right combination of systems, processes, and tools so that they can be successful every day. You talked about how do we as a leadership team really enable our team members. And this year, one of the things we heard from the EMT in January was 
that we've made the decision to really go all in on customer engagement mm-hmm. and focus our efforts on that. How would you describe really this this philosophy or this approach to all in to customer engagement to a to a team member? If I were to reflect on the context, let's say somebody joining from the outside the company and joining in. I think I would almost put it in the frame of we want our customer to be at the center of everything that we do. And when you put the person at the center that has needs to have all the attention, you're going to do whatever it is that you feel you need to do in order to help make sure that they're set up for success. Because at the end, you always want a relationship with whoever that person is that allows them to be successful because that helps you make feel good. It's about like servant leadership. And so for me, when I think about when we talk about customer engagement, it's about putting the customer at the center of everything that we're doing, which goes core back to our culture of our cultural values around things like teamwork and integrity and our our corporate purpose around enthusiastic customers and a better future. All of those things are related in terms of putting the customer at the center of everything that is that we we want to do for them. Yeah. So... We, in the first podcast series, focused on our product development life cycle. Mm -hmm. And one of the feedbacks we got most frequently from team members was, wow, I knew we put out cool products. I didn't totally understand how. Or Mm -hmm. like, even though I understood they were cool, I didn't totally get all the thought that goes into every phase of the process. And you kind of talked about this in an earlier question. But Mm -hmm. I think my question to you is, how do you feel, I guess, as a a human and also as a leader about working for a company that really is so committed to this idea of like delivering innovation at every point, whether it's services, products, software. When you look at the feedback loop we have from our customers and you look at our industry, whether you look at the productivity of the team members that work for our customers or whether I look at the way they're doing the work and the methods, If we look at some of the challenges we hear from our customers around things like being able to have access to good, skilled labor, the innovation that we bring helps them make all that better. And if I think about a building that I see getting built and I know that it has our fire stop and I know that it has our anchoring and our our Hilti anchor channel on the facade, that helps me think positively when I go home at night, not just about the safety and security of that building and the team members that worked in a safe way thanks to our innovation. For me, I think about that's about the statement that we want to have on future generations. I think it's incredibly an element of pride for me to be able to say I work for a company that truly does make things better for the future, not just in the context of the way we give back to the community, which is a very important element. It's the way that we bring innovation to the marketplace for our customers. We're going to look at the entire application and how can we combine inserts with the consumables, with the fasteners, with the tools themselves in order to make that application as effective, safe, and productive for our customers as possible. And hopefully also the team members that are doing those jobs themselves. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Hilti product? Like, are you just going to put the line in the sand and say, this is my favorite thing we've ever made? Oh, you know what? This is tough for me because I don't know that I would pick one. I would pick two. The first that I would pick is, I think, our new Total Station. I think the way you can integrate digital information from an architect and an engineer to help you lay out a job site. I just think that is amazing because when I went to school and studied construction management, it was all about chalk lines, drawings, and protractors to make sure your angle's correct. I, I, so I just look at that, you know, that also tells you how old I am, by the way, but I look at that as a cool tool. And then the other one for me is some of the products that we have in Firestop 
the actual foam inserts that you can put along a, f- a building facade mm-hmm. on the outside of a building mm-hmm. and how clean that is and how quick it is and easy to install. Even I can install it. Those are two of the products that to me right now, I think I look at and I'm like, wow, those are just super cool. What's one thing that Hilti needs to do to remain successful and relevant if you if you just really look down the road? Yeah, we have to win. There's a common phrase out there, winning the war for talent. For me, I think as an executive management team, and this goes a little bit back to the caring and performance-based culture, we have to have a culture that takes care of our team members because we have to be able to attract the best talent. We want to be able to retain the best talent. I think when you look across all industries, Claire, the importance of our organizations being able to learn and be able to apply those learnings to future innovation or future processes, however you want to look at it, is critical to their success. When I reflect, and I and I think I could speak fairly confidently on behalf of my, my colleagues, when we look at the landscape of what other companies are having to do and what we can bring as a result of the fuel we're brought with the innovation from the business, that to me is far and away the most important element. Back in the previous years, whether you look at things like lean and continuous improvement, it's about team member involvement. There was a thing called the fifth discipline about 20 years ago, and that was about the learning organization that can continually improve. And that is something that other companies can't replicate. But the underpinning of all of it is having the best talent and being able to invest in that talent so they can be the best possible person that they can be at work. Kind of the flip side to that question, what keeps you up at night? What are those things that you maybe we either just haven't fully fully defined a path forward on, or maybe it's something that's even outside of our control. Mm-hmm. What's something that you kind of have your eye on for the future? Well, so the first thing I'll tell you, the things that outside of your control, I actually don't lose a lot of sleep about those things because the reality is if we are the best, most innovative company with the best team members, then whether the economy goes south or whether there's a, a difficult external environmental factor like a weather impact or, or right now we have this coronavirus mm-hmm. going on, the best companies will always be able to stand up and, and be able to be successful over the long haul. Thankfully, we have an ownership structure that allows us to continue to operate like that as well. And that's also critically important. If I think about the things that do keep me up at night, though, I would actually come back to, are we doing the right things by our people? Do we have the right messaging out there in the right way at the right times? Are we making things easy for our team members to be able to do? Believe it or not, I'm actually one of these kind of nerdy people that stays home at night. I try to think about ways to better optimize a process in order to make it simpler and easier and more more efficient. And so those are the types of things that actually legitimately do keep me up at night. In fact, it, it even just happened last night. I was trying to think about a problem and I was trying to think through the best way to do it. I don't think I fell asleep until like 1.30 in the morning. And I thought to myself, as I was laying in bed, I was like, you are such an idiot. What, what are you doing to yourself? But I do. I, I think about those types of things because that's how I view my role is trying to help our team members be able to do their jobs better. So there's, I'm going to go back to another popular saying that goes, if it were easy, everyone would do it. What does that mean to you when it comes to Hilti? So if I look at customer engagement, whether you're a support team member or a sales team member, right? Every company can go through the motions of filling an order or entering an order or tracking an order. Any distributor can do that. I think what Hilti does that other companies can't do is the way we really can try to drive a better understanding of what our customer is going through. Even though sometimes I know a lot of our team members get called at all hours of the day or night or weekend, we tend to celebrate those stories where our team members get called. 
And I think it's a good thing in the context that it shows just how important we are to our customers. Because when our customers problem fixed, they're going to call somebody who they trust to solve the problem. And it's not always about, hey, I'm out of this product. I need you to get it to me. It's like, I have a legitimate problem. If you go back to the big dig in Boston in the early 2000s, that is a great example of Hilti was brought in to help fix a problem that was very unfortunate as a result of other situations that were not part of us at all. The Big Dig was the name given to Boston's Central Artery Tunnel Project, which at the time represented the single largest highway investment in U.S. history. In July 2006, a concrete ceiling panel from the tunnel collapsed on a motorist, and the official investigation revealed the cause to be failure from a group of non-Hilti anchors, which set off a chain reaction, causing other adjacent anchor points to fail. After the tragedy, officials reached out to Hilti for expert consultation and product support to resolve the issue quickly and safely. What makes Hilti so special and why we do the things we should do, not necessarily always just what the easiest thing is, I think that's what makes us special. And I think that's what other companies have a hard time replicating because they don't put the emphasis on the end-to-end value for the customer and they just think about, hey, I'm just trying to fill this order. Yeah, I think a lot of companies would say, sure, of course, engage customers sounds super positive. Everyone would want that, right? But I think it's a little bit of a matter of how you choose to, to look at it, right? Of course, you know, bigger customers are considered to be better because you have more scale and those types of things. But I I think at the same time, when we look at our customer base, we aren't only focusing on just the biggest customers. We're focusing on those customers that have the best alignment with us in terms of the way they want to approach their workflow and how can we both benefit from each other in terms of making that workflow better for them with their customers. Up next something we like to call our rapid-fire round. What is your favorite city in the world and why? My favorite city in the world? Hmm. I've been to a lot of places. I think if I had to pick my favorite city today, I think I would pick Barcelona, Spain. I haven't been there since about 2003. But Antonio Gaudí is an artist slash architect and some really unique styles. And I really enjoyed myself when I was there and just being able to see all his architecture-related buildings there. I thought that was a phenomenal place. And I would go back again. In fact, I want to go back again in the next maybe five years or so. What character trait do you most admire in other people? I think the character trait I respect in other people the most is empathy. I think in today's day and age where people rely on sound bites or headlines, myself included, I rely on headlines on my phone. I think it's very easy to get caught up into this position or this fact and this is the way it is and you lose context of maybe the surrounding circumstances. And I think that people that exercise genuine empathy are people that really I tend to respect more than almost anybody else. Because I think they listen the most. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Early in my career, I worked for a boss. He told me once, he said, don't be a coconut. And it was not necessarily a complimentary term. But the idea is that people sometimes when they get promoted into bigger jobs, their ego tends to be a little bit ahead of themselves. And, and if you think about a coconut that's dried out, if you shake it, you hear the, the seed bouncing around on the inside. So the context was the ego gets big, but your brain is actually no bigger than everybody else's. 
and all you've done is create more room for you to rattle around and, and make noise. Not necessarily drive good impact, by the way. And I think that's the best piece of advice. I, I carry it through to myself to this day. Occasionally, I'll even, I'll even refer to myself as a coconut. And I do that, honestly. It, it comes across as a little bit self-deprecating at times, but in all sincerity, I do it as a constant reminder to myself to remind that I am no better than anybody else around me. If you could pick a superpower, what would it be? You know, my son, Avengers Endgame came out last summer and we were, we were talking about this and I thought about a whole bunch of different things and I really couldn't come up with one, honestly. I thought about flying, I thought about speed, I thought about super hearing and, and all kinds of other things. But I think at the end of the day, if I had to pick a superpower I'd want more than any other one, I'd probably say wisdom. Because in the end, most of those superheroes, they either their superpowers get the better of them unless mm-hmm. they know how to exercise it wisely. And so I think wisdom would probably be the one I would pick, but that's not technically a superpower. Right? Well, it's one you could cultivate. We, I, we all could, right? I, I could, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I could cultivate that one. <laughs> flying, so, good luck. Yeah, flying is kind of a long-term yeah. plan <laughs> with no real probability, probably. Okay, very last question. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Probably teaching or coaching, something in that vein. Not necessarily sports coaching, but more people coaching, because I think that's I get a lot of joy out of out of helping people, and I'd like to believe that on most days I'm pretty good at it, and so that would be something I would be interested in maybe investing in. Special thanks to Hilti North America Chief Operating Officer Carl Neumeyer for sitting down with us today, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of In This Case. In This Case is a production of Hilti North America. To give us feedback, ask a question, or share an idea for a future podcast, email HiltiDirect at Hilti.com.